Good morning. We have gathered to worship the living God. Uh, our call to worship this morning is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 148. As I often do, I want to set this up responsively. So let me lead, and then as you respond, let us come before the Lord to worship this day. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created. Let's stand and sing together. Come, Christians, join to sing.
Amen. And be seated if you would, please. It's uh, my pleasure to welcome you to worship this day. We've gathered uh, both on site safely and as well online, whether you're with the live stream or recording. Thank you for letting all of us join you in your time and in your place to worship together. Uh, we've gathered. Uh, had to get up early to shovel the snow off the driveway, but we're here. Uh, I'm kind of uh, navigating my own uh, COVID risk. You know, I go into a lot of places on short notice, see a lot of people. So you'll see me masking and doing some things. Uh, I'm just a little more cautious than most. Uh, but I encourage you, and this has been our theme through this whole escapade and episode, um, identify and manage your risk and love your neighbor well. So that's what I'm often doing. Another thing that I wanna make sure we're aware of, uh, we're gonna work on some videos that explain Hard Wake to visitors as well as celebration. And so if you perchance see someone who's uh, making videotape as part of that, don't let them distract you. They may wanna have something really vibrant. Oh, hi, Lewis. <laughs> Many of you will remember Lewis uh, from preaching here. So uh, we're in this together, folks. It's all good. Um, welcome this morning. Life is good. A couple of quick things. I've been to the hospital uh, a bunch. I spent some time with Helene Van Campen, who's there. They've been able to take care of her bloody nose and do the test that they wanted to. She's still waiting on some uh, information and the doctors and that sort of thing. But that's the backstory as I will be praying for her. And Mary Jo Pohl um, had a fall and everything seemed to be well until Friday. There was just so much pain. They took her in and I spent time with her, cleaned out some infection last night. Barb is with her. Um, folks are doing well. I think we've also sent uh, e-praise out for uh, Jim Ronda, who needs to get his blood a little strengthened before he can do chemo, and then Bill Lettinga, uh, both of these guys, snowbirds with doctors in Florida. There's been, he calls it a, a, a type of blood cancer that's kind of arisen, and they're looking to treat that. It's uh, a less serious sort, is what he told me. It's hard to think of blood cancer and less serious. Um, praying for Marianne. I mean, there's just a number of things we need to be aware of as a body in doing that. Uh, slides for things that are going on at Heart of Wyke. One, we've started our discussion groups based on this book, Scandalous Stories. It kind of goes along with each of the parables that we're preaching from in our various communities. And um, uh, let you have a discussion. We're doing several on Wednesday night. We wanted to have multiple so that the groups are small enough to interact. And I'm going to ask Darwin to come up in a moment and tell us about a new option online. But before that, Great Escape is hiring our summer day camp. Um, there's information in the newsletters and things like that. Also, our online Connect card is an option. If you'd like to uh, get our regular email that has information or hear from me, that sort of thing, text Connect to that number and you'll get a form and can do that. I mentioned I was gonna have Darwin talk about scandalous stories and online, but he's got even more exciting good news. So for all that Darwin is up to, why don't you come on up and uh, let us, Actually, this is good news. I'll let him carry it from here. Good morning. 
It's really good to see you all today. I hope you're doing well. Um, just for your notes, Scandalous Stories Online will be um, Tuesday afternoons at 1.30 or on Thursday mornings at 11 o'clock. You should get an email with a link um, to the Microsoft Teams meeting for that and look forward to you joining, some of you um, joining me there. So this is a first try at doing an online Bible study and I have no idea how it's going to go. Um, so here we go. Um, I do want to take an opportunity to give you um, a little bit of a financial update. I could run through a bunch of numbers here, which I'm sure you all will commit to memory um, and recite throughout the day. Um, but let me just put it this way. We um, ended the year um, 2021 um, well with approximately in the neighborhood of $398,000 um, in cash in the bank, for which we are very, very grateful. We are also um, on track um, to pay off the loan, and the council is committed to paying off our loan on the building expansion project in May. Um, we have roughly um, about 185000 um, due on that loan, and we, again, are committed to paying it off. So I want to say thank you, but here, you know what? I'd like you to stand up. Stand up. This will be fun. Trust me. I'd like you to turn around and I'd like you to wave and I'd just like to say, have you say thank you to each other for your prayer support and for your financial support that makes all this possible. So thank each other for the contributions and the prayers you offer. The exciting thing is this is really our ministry. And my role here is because you've invited me to serve here. This is our ministry, and so I just ask that you continue to pray for it, that you pray for our council. Um, our council um, our council, is asking, how can we be good stewards of the resources that have been entrusted to us? And how can we use them to invite others to join us on the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Christ? And what a great place to be, to be asking how we can be faithful in this task and being entrusted with the resources to pursue it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And God's blessings upon you. I've been in a lot of churches, a lot of years, and a lot of situations. But when the executive guy wants to stand up and say, thanks for your financial faithfulness, it is a great sign of God at work in his people. And so I joined Darwin in that. And um, we're not looking to how do we accumulate money? We're looking to hear clearly from God, what is he financing for ministry? How do we extend the gospel in this time? So it's an exciting, challenging, frustrating, frightening, all of those words, but we're in this together. I'm thankful for the faith that has been given to us. It's not mine to invent or to uh, create and make attractive to you. It's God's ministry and message and word. And so it's ours to understand and to offer to the world. Let's use the Heidelberg Catechism question two um, as our expression of faith this day. I'll begin with the question. 
What must you know in order to live and die in the joy and comfort of this, namely, question one, that I am not my own but belong to Jesus Christ? And it says three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Uh, Let's stand and sing together. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. Here we go.
amazing grace. Amen, and have a seat. Let me share with you just a, a bit of what I've sensed in my own prayer life over the past probably week and a half. Some uh, interaction, you know, I've tried to share with you the vision that I think Jesus has for our prayers, my sheep hear my voice. I had to go to a dictionary, actually, and look up the word scorn. Scorn is defined as open dislike and disrespect or mockery, often mixed with indignation, an expression of contempt or derision. So I checked out contempt. Contempt is a pattern of attitudes and behavior which has the characteristics of disgust and anger. And part of what I sensed in my own prayer life, I'm just kind of giving you a window into my heart before we pray, is that how often do I engage the people that I disagree with and offer scorn rather than the gospel? Since the Holy Spirit asking me, what's more important, my scorn for them or the gospel for them? And it's really been kind of shaking me and changing how I pray and how I interact and things. It's not that I've really changed my opinions. I try to keep focused on the gospel from the pulpit. But if you've uh, had dinner or coffee or any other time with me, you know, I've probably got more than my share of pretty thoughtful, decided, right opinions. And I've just been struck how my heart is drawn to offer scorn rather than the gospel. It doesn't change my opinions. There's some ideas floating around our culture that are just bad, dangerous ideas. But which comes first in my own heart and thinking, scorn or the gospel. So that's where God has been challenging and calling me. Let's turn to the Father and pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have loved us by your grace, not by our brilliance or good looks or amazing achievements. That you have loved us and that that love is transforming us day by day, glory after glory, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So be at work through Heart of White Ministries. We thank you for the finance report for this past year, as crazy and challenging as it, and disruptive as it all has been. I thank you that through your people, you have encouraged us to press forward and to make the gospel clear, compelling, and well-known. Be with Heart of White Ministries, Father, in all the expressions from international missions to uh, community impact, to worshiping communities, to our own private prayer closets. We pray this day for Watershed and for Pastor Aaron as he preaches, for Fusion and Pastor JB, the community there. And I thank you too for Pastor Florencio and for the message he has this day for Mission. Thank you for the way our gems were able to spend time with Mission this week and again, be reminded that the gospel is bigger than any one of us or any one culture. Father, we pray too for celebration, the, the body, the portion that you've called us to. And this day we seem to have quite a number of folks 
with medical needs. So we lift before you those in Holland Hospital, Mary Jo and uh, Helene. We lift up to you Bill and this diagnosis he's had with his blood and Jim waiting chemo. And for Mary Ann with um, heart valve surgery, all these different things and others as well. We thank you that you oversee our lives, you superintend them is another word, that you move us forward in, in Christ. And so I'm gonna give you a, a moment, pray for those in uh, your circle of friends who are sick or have particular need. Lift up those that I may not even know about. Now, Father, again, having prayed for those with medical needs, we join together uh, one heart and my voice, and we pray for Brianna Evenhouse, that you would be with her in the uh, Muskegon Hospital, where she's in ICU right now, and uh, be with Derek and Cynthia, the rest of the family, her work associates. Father, we know what we see with our eyes, but in this moment, we look to you, Abba, Father, Daddy. You see this sister in Christ, this beloved daughter of celebration, as it were. So we pray for her uh, pressing medical need. We pray too, Father, for those who are grieving, whatever step they may be along the journey, we pray that in your mercy you would help them face this new chapter of life, fresh with discovery of your promises for a new chapter. Be encouragement. Thank you that you've called us as your people to rejoice with those who rejoice, to grieve with those who are grieving, and together to see Christ at work. We pray for those in authority over us, Father, in our monthly rotation, weekly rotation, really. We pray now for uh, church leadership. And so we pray for the Heart of White Council, for our deacons, for those in leadership positions, our staff. We pray that as they seek you, as together we seek you, we might represent the mind of Christ to your people and, and sense your next steps in ministry. Having given us provision, Father, how is it that you want to impact Ottawa County? We pray too for this summer's General Synod of the CRC that your gospel would be clear and lifted up. We pray for our missionaries who seem further away in this time of COVID. May our prayers reach out. As I close using words of Scotty Smith's daily prayer blog from Saturday, we pray in this way. Lord Jesus, when life events, when they contradict what we expect from you, we too feel like Martha in the scriptures. And we find ourselves asking, Jesus, don't you care? When our kids suffer or cancer returns, if employment goes away or relationships blow up or addiction seems to outlast recovery, when darkness hides your lovely face, as the hymn says, those seasons generate vulnerability, faith crises, and deep conflictedness. Though you don't always explain or fix, fix things as we ask, you have promised that you will never crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. And so, Father, we survey the Scripture, and when we are angry like Jonah, or disillusioned like Job, or fearful like Elijah, doubting you like John the Baptist, 
cynical like Asaph, even despairing of life like Paul. In all things, you welcome us and meet us right there. Hallelujah for your grace. The weary find rest in you, O Lord, long before the day of all things new. Many, perhaps most of us, weren't taught and discipled for a Christian life that includes mystery or grieving or suffering before heaven. Grant us sufficient grace and trusting hearts, Jesus. No one cares like you do. The gospel makes that loud and clear. No one cares like you for us now and forevermore. And so it is, Father, that we pray together with one mind and one voice as we use together the words of the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, our sermon series, This Port of the Winter, in eight weeks, we're going to look at the parables. We're calling it the Scandal of Grace. Um, and it's our desire to kind of dig into a number of these key teaching moments of Jesus and dig deeper so that they might be fresh and challenging to us just as Jesus meant. Now, I look at one particular parable today where Jesus kind of explains it, but you'll also be able to hear, I'm going to hit the highlights of the portions, and then in the sermon, I'll bring that together. So let me start here with Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 Um, I'll go all the way through 23, but we'll start at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, "Mm, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, we'll skip down to the next uh, portion of this, uh, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, like, why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets or mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Let that one settle in your heart and mind for a moment. But let's skip down to verse 18. And Jesus continues to speak to his disciples. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they're out of there. 
The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil, that refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's pray. O Lord, our God and Father, we are baffled and taken aback that Jesus opens up to us perspective here. So I pray even more than typical that that we might shape our minds after what Jesus has spoken to us rather than only pick up what we prefer of Jesus' words. So shape us by who you are, Lord Jesus, that the world would see in increasing ways your love for them. Thank you, Father, that in this passage you so moved on the memory and the recording and then the preservation that we can with confidence pray, illumine our hearts and minds, even through this, through this broken vessel of a pastor. May Jesus be lifted up and glorified, for we make our prayer in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, there's a lesson that parents learn, and Mary Lynn and I learned it. It took a couple of tries, a couple of kids. But when the youngest one says, my big sister hit me, Often the first question needs to be, so what did you do to cause that one? What did you do that frustrated you so much in this situation? They would hit you. Now, when that came up in our life, we, we believe in world peace, we're committed to that. But we needed to first realize that sometimes the whole story is not the whole story. We needed to get context and background. And so it is with this particular passage. If you just read one of those parables and focus in, you'll miss a message that's part of the larger context. So I want to think back on what every parent has learned, not only what is said, but why is that said? What's the larger context? And let's dig into that this morning. It's interesting, this passage, these series of events and teachings in Matthew 13 begin this way. Such, a large, such large crowds gathered around Jesus that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. The crowd is there and Jesus speaks in a parable. And you know the parable, the sower goes out to sow his seed, some gets taken away, it's on hard ground, some springs up but then choked out uh, or, or withers, others is choked out, but there is some seed that lands on good soil and bears good fruit. It's a parable. But what does that mean? And what is the point of this random story that he speaks to the crowd? A farmer goes out to sow seed, and he throws it all around. What a waste. I want to tell you, 
just being honest, that offends my Teutonic sense of efficiency and effort. I want to identify the good soil and just put my seed there so I get a better return. Why tell this story? The farmer ought to be careful where he puts the seed. Well, that's apparently kind of what the disciples thought as well, because look at what happens beginning with verse 10. They're confused, and so they want a question and answer from Jesus. The disciples came to him. Now, notice here, Jesus is in the boat with a crowd speaking to them, and he gives this parable. It's kind of hard to know what it means. So the disciples get with him alone and say, why do you speak to them in parables? We ought to be honest enough to ask the same question that the disciples do. What is the meaning of that parable? Well, Jesus says some things here that ought to make us stop. Jesus replied, because the knowledge of the secrets, I prefer the word mysteries, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. How fair is that? Let that grind a bit. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken to them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he refers to the Old Testament where it says clearly that sometimes God will move, but folks will not have a clue. Goodness gracious. But then listen to where he goes on next. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And Jesus now is going to instruct them. But I want you to see this flow. There's a parable, not sure what it means. That apparently in God's sovereign mystery, there's some purpose to that. But then when they ask, Jesus teaches. Jesus goes on to tell more parables to the crowd in the rest of this chapter and more parables about good seed and bad seed. He tells them a story about a mustard seed and about yeast. We've looked at those. He explains them to his disciples as they come and ask. But beginning in verse 36 again, he's explaining to his disciples. So there's stories that are kind of hard to understand, and then when you come and ask, he speaks. We see a clear pattern in this larger context. It's repeated in chapter 13. Jesus speaks openly to all in ways that people may or may not understand, may or may not go forward with, but he explains his message to those who come to him. Like the disciples, those who come and ask for his meeting. Suddenly, there is more to the story than we would realize by just looking at any one story in isolation from the rest. This reminds me, as I was working on this, that it's important that we be clear about what posture do we take when we read the Bible. You see, if we think that the Bible is about me, we will see with a particular set of eyes. If these parables are about me, well then, you had better make yourself good soil, hadn't you? Get to work. Make sure that when the seed is scattered around and you get your little share, 
it'll bear fruit. Get to work. The other thing that may happen is if we think this is about us, we're going to think, well, I'm obviously good soil. I'm here today. I must be better soil than those bad soil. Think across the ocean. We must be better soil than that soil. We can read these parables like they're simple stories with a moralistic point driven to produce a particular behavior or even twist them to confirm what Jesus isn't confirming. But if we take a different posture, if we remember that the Bible is not about what you and I do, but it's about what God has done. It's about the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. We read through the Old Testament and we learn not simply a history of a people, but we learn of a coming Messiah. When we take that posture that the Bible is about God, then we'll begin to see these parables more as God's observation of how the word is received by the world. You see, Jesus could be showing us what it looks like to him, how the message of the kingdom is being received by the world. And and we see that where sometimes the message of the kingdom just bounces off and is taken away. We see it where it springs up and then is gone. I came to faith in Christ as a high school student. There was an extraordinary move through uh, the United States at that point, late 60s and early 70s. College campus workers from that era will tell stories of taking a business card and putting um, a note on the back, Bible study, room 432, 9 p.m. They put it on a bulletin board, and by 8.45 that night, there were 40 people in the dorm room. That's a story from an university worker at University of Michigan in 1971. Let me suggest to you, that's not happening today. You can see the seed planted and spring up. What has happened to that generation? Which, by the way, is me and you. It sprouts up and then is taken away. How about the seed that is choked out by the cares of the world? What does it take to be seed that bears good fruit. We can see how the word is received by the world. And we can begin to get the sense of how God will make his word known. He will cast it everywhere. My Teutonic offense at God's lack of efficiency with the word, he couldn't care less. His word goes out. His word goes out. And then with God, As the center of this message, I can begin to realize that, you know, there are times where my own heart looks like any one of these four soils. Maybe God in his grace will cast the seed of the message of the kingdom of God abundantly everywhere, and it lands on my heart as if the soil were trampled and hard. There's no way to take root, and an enemy, because there's a spiritual warfare dimension to this passage, can't avoid it. An enemy takes it away. See, that first soil is trampled soil. It's been packed down and pounded hard, run over again and again. Have you ever felt like that? 
Have you ever suffered the same thing again and again, and sooner or later your heart just gets hard? I don't care what God says. I'm hurting. See, this is about the planting of the seed. And when my own heart, trampled and hard, doesn't receive the word of God, how would God respond? And I want to give you this in response to that as I prayed and thought about it. He will call us to plow up the hard ground of our hearts. And that's the ministry of repentance. Listen to this Old Testament reference, Hosea 10, 12. Sow righteousness for yourselves and then reap the fruit of unfailing love. And in a way that Hosea may not have known, who is the ultimate righteousness that we sow in our hearts? Jesus. See, if you read this passage and think, okay, I better get to work and pile up good behaviors, you're going to miss the point of the Old Testament. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, revealed in the Old Testament, righteousness is seen in the person of Jesus. Sow that for yourselves, and you'll reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up the unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Repentance, plow up the hard ground of your life. Break it apart open it up, let the seed fall in. Now, as I listen to people describe their understanding and their experience of repentance as a pastor, one of the hardest things, but most fruitful things for me to do is to zip it and listen. But as I listen to people describe their understanding and experience of repentance, so much of it is shame-based and shame-motivated. Repentance, oh, that's when you feel bad for getting caught about doing bad. And now you better work hard to change your behavior. Sometimes I'm able, sometimes I'm not. If repentance is just about feeling bad for getting caught and then trying hard, redoubling effort to try to conquer it, we're going to face repentance with reservation and avoid it. If I were to ask, what is your repentance issue from this past week? Have you earnestly sought that? Or have you worked to avoid it? But what if repentance was responding to an invitation to move my trust from myself to a loving God? Instead of trusting my own effort and ability, I'm going to place my trust in God and what He has done. What if repentance was responding to an invitation to move my trust from self to a loving God? To let go of what I'm trying to make of myself and instead to receive more and better than I could ask or imagine. That's all that my true creator intended for me. That's a whole different approach to repentance. As I began to learn and see that in the scripture, I would run to it. See, I didn't realize early on how deeply I'd been affected by the culture around me. How many people sit in churches where they're exhorted to have faith? The question has got to be faith in what? If your faith is in your faith, I want to introduce you to the gospel where you place your faith in what God has done through Jesus on the cross.
We're filled and surrounded by people with faith in faith. And so you ask questions like, do you have enough faith to fill in the blank? Be healed, be rich, be good, be whatever. I don't believe in my faith. This may scare you. There are mornings that I get up and I don't have enough faith to have faith in it. But if I'll place my trust in what God has done through Jesus on the cross, there's a whole change of position and posture. What would it look like if God himself were to act in your life in such a way as to break up unplowed ground? Might be difficult. But it would be good because it would make way for the message of his kingdom and my life would be forever different. I'd begin to ask questions in the hard times of my life, not like, why did God do that to me? Why don't I have enough faith to get what I want? Instead, I'd be asking, God, where are you in this? And what is it that you're doing? You've heard the story of me as a high school student breaking my thigh bone, being in a cast from armpits to toes for three months before I knew Christ. That was my life broken. But God in his grace moved in the midst of that. It wasn't, why are you doing that to me, God? It became, and this took time, about 30 years. What are you doing to shape me like Jesus? Do you see that difference? The other soil, the next, is when I have been troubled soil, and beneath that soil, there is nothing to take root. I might receive it, with joy, but there is no root. God's answer for this is water with the word. I love Psalm, um, Psalm 1 and in verse 3, it says that a person who meditates on the law of God, who meditates on the word, who begins to see the gospel in the Bible, not just words about me. When I begin to see Jesus in the Old Testament, then I will be, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not because it's my faith, but because my faith is in him, and he, through me, will prosper whatever he needs. How do you build depth? There is no depth of character or of belief in our lives that can happen apart from time invested in the Word of God. We need to be like a tree in rivers of living water, God's Word. But you see, even when the Word grows up and begins to show the plant and be a start, there can be other ways that it gets choked out. And this is if troubled is beneath, then tangled is above. It's when the things of life begin to choke out the things of eternity. When we find ourselves in such a situation that the world becomes more pressing and more important than the things of God. Jesus says these words in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. Tender Jesus, meek and mild. That's a part of Jesus I'd just as soon not ponder. 
Jesus with the ministry of pruning? While every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What would it be to consider that insight into my sin and the call to repentance is a pruning that God is doing? Could repentance be a means for pruning your life? I'll often tell folks about a real pivot point in my own personal life and learning to pray. We were living in Louisiana, which is central time zone. And being the news hound I was, I would often stay up to watch the news so I could pray, of course. And after the news came MASH, so I needed to kind of wind down. And that became part of my regular routine. Watch the news at 10, watch MASH, go to bed at 11. And when I got up, I was too busy to pray. So the key answer for me was to get up earlier. So I'd watch the news and mash and then get up at five o'clock. And that worked. I was young and strong and earnestly committed. It probably worked for two weeks. And you know what I began to discover? that if you're committed to staying up till 11, it's gonna be hard to get up at five and stay healthy. And so, in a dramatic act of surrender and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, I quit watching MASH. I even gave up on the news. And I could get up a little earlier and spend a little more time with Jesus. And Jesus in his mercy would teach and guide me. And lo, these many years ago, I have never seen every episode of MASH that exists. But by the grace of God and to his glory, I know a little more about him because I met him in the place of prayer. Now, am I on a crusade to keep you from watching MASH? or stay away from the news? No, I, I wanna ask you, what are the things that are choking out your life? I've been in some challenges. I, I was between jobs one time, and how do you get a, a German to deal with unemployment? Well, I just went out and got four bad jobs. All I could do was carry around a text as I went from job to job and meditate on that. I was desperate for the word of God, even as my time was out of my control. But you see, friends, I needed to make sure that the challenges of my life, and there are many, were not choking out the message of the kingdom. I wish I could read to you all the scripture texts that I wanted to close with that kind of begin to give us this message. The parables may be confusing, But like the disciples, come and ask, seek and find. He will make known to you. I'll just read a couple here. Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. If you seek him, you will find him. Right there in Deuteronomy. You see, that's what it means to move from being someone in the crowd to a disciple. It's not that your seeking is so brilliant, you will identify who God is. It's that he will see you stumbling around in the dark and out of his loving compassion, he'll make himself known to you. Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. 
Now, those who seek a Bible verse to justify their behaviors, what will they find? But those who seek Jesus in the Scripture, who listen for the voice of the Spirit, He'll guide you and make Himself known. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That almost sounds like something Jesus said. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Pray like this. Show me who you are rather than let me make a God of my own preference or understanding. Show me who you are. You see, Jesus calls us to come and to ask, and he says, in that we will find he's promised to meet us. Some of you will recognize President John Kennedy, and that's the desk of his authority. There he made decisions on behalf of this nation that altered, for better or for worse, the course of history. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara would show up there and ask for more soldiers to go to Vietnam. Secretary of the Treasury C. D. Douglas Dillon took his final plan for a sweeping tax cut plan that would stimulate the economy to that desk, and they worked that out. Plans were authorized with his advisors right on that desk to stand against the Soviets and Nikita Khrushchev in the Russian Missile Crisis. Those men and others came with their requests and demands in his authority. But there was another person who would come there. And that other person did not know John Kennedy only as president. Oh, he was president, but this other person knew another aspect to him as well. He knew that the president was also known as Daddy. This is a picture of John Jr., at that same desk. Now, John Jr. would make different requests. John Jr. might even say, Daddy, will you bomb that guy, Nikita? And apparently, President Kennedy would have said something like, no, John, but I will invest everything I have into making a safer world for you. You see, John Jr. knew the president as Daddy. And part of the promise of the Scripture, part of the work of the gospel, is that God the Magnificent, through what Jesus did at the cross, invites us to become His deeply loved, fully adopted children. In Romans 8.31, Paul writes this, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? See, when we go to the throne of God, sovereign, yes. Majestic, yes. Mysterious, yes. But because of what Jesus did at the cross, Abba, Father. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks for your kindness to us, that you have known our infirmity, our brokenness, our selfishness, our fear, all the different things that that encompasses, but that you, seeing that need, have responded through the person and work of Jesus at the cross. Give us a great hope, Lord God, not 
faith in our faith, but faith in him and what you will do. Help us to step away from the crowd who often hears your word in confusion, but to ask of you to make known. Father, fill us with your grace, we pray. And I'm going to ask you if you will just join me. We'll put the slides on and forward them as we pray the Heart of White Gospel Meditation. Let us pray together if these are your words. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own. But instead, by the working of his grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great Creator King. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into his likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as he brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of your work in my life, values, and actions. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Let's close by singing again that thought in verse form, I know not why God's wondrous grace. Our chorus is taken from Paul's words in 2 Timothy 1.12. Let's sing to his glory. And now the benediction of God from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. May the God of peace 
who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Thank you.